0: Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 334. I'm your host, Bernie Smith of storycomic.com, and we're honored to have with us the nationally acclaimed and celebrated author, of, oh, they, it was her New York. Hello, Moed.
1: Woo! <laughs> hey, here. How's it Thank going? you so much. It's going really well. It's fun to right. be here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Vermont. Hello, Vermont. I actually know Vermont as a New Yorker who can't figure out where Queens is on a map. I actually do know Vermont. I have family up in, or I had family up in North Hero, and friends okay. in Woodstock, and I visited Barrel, Brattleboro at some point and. I, I'm surprised that I know New, Vermont as much as as I do, since I don't really know anything else. Because
0: <laughs> <So. laughs> that's right. Because you're on here. Because you're you just recently you know getting your your book published. It was her New York from a Vermont based publisher, yeah, correct?
1: That's right. Rootstock. Rootstock Publishing is a traditional and hybrid publisher, and they do fantastic work. Samantha Colbert is the publisher, new publisher, um, and it's just one of the best experiences I've had working with a publisher. She's and a hybrid relationship actually allows more collaboration, and also really like not being in the dark about the publishing process. It's been amazing and she's very fierce about her writers and she's very fierce about getting the book to be exactly what it needs to be in the public eye so if there are writers out there thinking about seeking a publisher and are interested in doing hybrid which is a new form of publishing i would Mm -hmm. highly recommend rootstock and she's, she's located in montpelier
0: as you, your book, as we as we mentioned at the top of the show, is that it's called "It Was Her New York," and talk to us a little bit about the book.
1: I thanks so much. Thanks for asking. It is <laughs> it is a collection of photo illustrated intimate vignettes of stepping into the process of a city and a parent mm. suddenly disappearing into gentrification and illness. And yet, surprisingly, still there as who they are. I started it as a way of keeping my writing close to my heart and in progress when a parent, in this case, my mother, got Mm. suddenly very ill and I was caretaking her along with my sister and at the same time, my neighborhood was becoming more and more gentrified. And I was beginning to not see the home that I grew up in. Mm. That can be a very discombobulating experience. And since I was getting it from both ends, you know, intimate relationship, intimate city, and they were home to me, I felt like I needed to identify where home still existed, where where city still existed, where a parent still existed. And it was there all along. So the book became this amazing arc of walking a parent, which many of us have to do when our parents get older and we're the child that takes care of them, walking a parent through the rest of their life, long or short, through illness or through just aging, and at the same time, identifying and and connecting to what home means to them so all these little vignettes became almost a, a pointillism picture you know if you look at dutch paintings and each dot is a different color and yet when you step back it's a whole portrait that's what her new york is a whole portrait of a city a whole portrait of a woman a day woman a whole portrait of immigrants of the, the maintenance guys the pizza ladies the taxi cab drivers our portrait of our city, of our home, of our life, mm. of our dreams, of our loss. So I, I made a book. <laughs> is there an, an, an
0: insinuation or is it something where you really, really kind of capture the fact that as New York changes, so did your mother as well?
1: It th- it happened to me at the same time. And there's no insinuation. Mm. It just, there it is. And yet... Right. What also is there is there they are. They're still home. That taxi cab driver is still talking about the American dream the way that my grandparents talked about the American dream. Right. Those moments are everything to me. It sounds like I take a lot of taxis. I don't, but they were, they're so few and far between. And also I was taught never to take a taxi. So in the book, there's these arguments I'm having in my head about the necessity to take a taxi you know, with the parent that told me never to take a taxi, like, shut up, I'm taking a taxi and getting a taxi. And there's someone from another country or someone who's the child of immigrants or someone who grew up in the Bronx, you know, talking about their life. And New Yorkers do that with one another. We, I get into a cab, I'm talking to the guy like he's a neighbor because he is a neighbor, because Mm. he is my fellow New Yorker same thing with meeting my coworkers you know and having them as part of my life and sharing story or sharing moments in the day or the nurses that we talked to or the doctors we talked to the EMS guys that drove us places the car I mean every the pizza lady you know who knew my coworker because we all grew up on the same block and we didn't you know it's these small little beautiful ribbons of connection so here we are in New York we're still here we're still New York City even though gentrification is changing the the reality of real estate changing the reality of affordable housing we're still here we're still connected to each other and i think that's in any community just new york's a bigger village did this story kind of come to you
0: or is this a story that you wanted to tell for a while now
1: the story began as these little Posts that I would do three times a week and they did come out of self-defense I was walking back one day from taking care of my mom And I was walking up avenue a which used to be one of the more dangerous avenues and it no longer is And that's great. It's great to walk down the street and not think you're gonna get mugged and I passed a kid in a pork pie hat talking to his friend who had a camera And he's in front of a beloved local bodega, a beloved little candy shop, beloved Rays. And he's going, what's an egg cream? Is there an egg in it? And I thought, I'm going to punch this kid. (laughs) You know, it's like egg cream is a New York drink. You know, it's like, stop it. You know, like do your research about the home you're visiting. I wouldn't go into your home and say, what are, what are those bright golf pants you're wearing? (laughs) You know, so he was like, "What's an egg cream? Is an egg in it? I, you know, tell me what an egg cream is." And I thought, "I need to fight for my city." So I began. To, <laughs> so, so rather than get into assault charge, I went home and I wrote. You know, I was like, "Use your words," and I began writing about what I was seeing on the street. And three times a week, I would post a story and a photograph because photographs and story are sort of one in the same for me Hmm. Uh, when i was young my mom would take me to the seward park library on east broadway and she would stick me in front of the charles adams cartoon books and i would that's that was my story you know it's like oh look at these this look at this family that looks totally normal to me the adams family or the family of Man photography collection that came out in the 50s of all these photographs of The world and a family and Mm -hmm. of love and of death. I mean, that was that was a story to me. So when I began to actually write, I kept pairing it with image. I kept pairing it with photographs and and what I was seeing on the street. And I did it with a little point and shoot. Now Mm -hmm. I'm not a photographer. I still can't figure out f stops, but I just did with a little point and shoot, like taking pictures. The other thing was I had been videotaping my mom as and putting together a documentary about New York and her and our history or our sort of our portrait. And I, I couldn't hold a camera while I was taking care of her. I couldn't hold a video camera, but I could hold a point and shoot. So I was doing a lot of sort of almost stealth photographs. Not, you know, I just could have I could hold her hand, I could take care of something, I could feed her, but I could hold that little point and shoot and keep taking photographs of her. And taking, and I could take photographs on the street. If I walked home, I always saw something I needed to photograph. So the stories became this amalgamation of of how I was seeing my home, of how I was experiencing my home. And three times a week, I went a story. It saved my writing. It documented the process that was very funny at times and very sad at times and also very unique at times because personally as a new yorker i think everything we do is unique so and it became this wonderful collection that i was able to then sculpt a moment for Mm. new york
0: right and and so as you put this together at what point did you take kind of like this as you mentioned it was kind of like a blog or something that you're doing early 2006 early blog yeah 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 and
1: And not a lot of readers a couple hundred Around the world. Yeah. I was thinking the biggest audience I got, I believe, was from, I want to say Morocco. Yes. There was a woman coming to see her daughter for the first time in decades. And they were interviewing her in the coffee shop that my friend and I rode in. So what did I do? I whipped out my little point and shoot and I took a picture and then I asked some questions and I typed like crazy. And then I read it to her and they're filming me. And like, I'm not really thinking about the fact that they're filming me. And I throw out this little story and a little picture of the woman. And I, two days later noticed that there are 3000 visitors to the blog <laughs> that everyone, you know, saw the broadcast of this woman on their televisions in Morocco and visited the blog to read the story. (laughs) And that was, and it was a beautiful, I mean, I'm not, it was a beautiful story. It wasn't like, Oh, I wrote a beautiful story. It was a beautiful story. And all I did was document it. And I think that that's the nature of the blog and that's the nature of the book. I just documented moments. That's all I was doing. And I also documented my emotional relationship with the city and I documented the intimate relationships I had with the people around me, including the parent I was taking care of. Right. Talk
0: to us about that decision you made when you sat back and looked at and says, I should put this into a book. How did that process go? I'm
1: so glad you asked that because this is, this is for all the writers out there who have thrusted all their little notes into a binder or a drawer, pull it out, pull it out and look at them. I, I had 1,400 stories, just about. And a a novel that I had written that was snappy and weird and wonderful was not going to get play because publishing is under you know a lot of attack. It's an embattled business, and they're looking for things that are a little bit more commercial. And I thought, I have 1,400 stories. I should put something together. The pushback I got from friends in the business, you know, agents and, you know, publishers was, you know, who wants to read that? You have it on, you have it on a blog for free. Who's going to want to read that? And that didn't help. But I still kept looking at these stories and I put together a rough draft, a very short, rough draft, like just pulling things that I, that created this arc of what it means to walk a parent To their death and clean out their home, and also celebrate their life and what it means to move through a city that is disappearing, and still find it and celebrate its vibrancy. Mm. And there were times in the process of draft after draft. I think we did five to seven different drafts of this. There was there were times in the process where I would sit on my little you know love seat in my little tiny writing corner and feel completely like depressed, like the sense of futility of why am I doing this? It's worthless. Like who's gonna, why am I even bothering? And then to still do it. And so I'm calling out to all the writers here that say it's too late or that, or who listen to that feeling that says it's, it's pointless. I shouldn't even bother, bother anyway. How I felt going through draft after draft, was besides the point. I kept taking actions. I also worked with an editor in Vermont. Her name is Deb Hyman, and she's located in Woodstock. She is one of the most nurturing editors that I, I've i worked with her before in other forms. She's incredibly nurturing and very supportive, and she also is incredibly keen-eyed. She could really see where pieces were Singing the arc of a story and where pieces were not quite working And so I felt supported but I also felt called out on hey get to work And that's also critical. You can't have fans only and you can't have undermining critics You have to have someone who's advocating for the work and she did And then I just began to send query letters around again fighting a I just, I cannot impress upon you more the sense of futility that I felt constantly while I took action. So I'm really saying this out loud for all the writers out there who have their their heart and soul into dark corners, pull them out, start honoring them mm-hmm. and fight for their existence and fight against your own futility. I did. And now when I talk about it, it's like, oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> I mean, the book makes me laugh. I'm delighted that people are delighted by it. I'm so touched by the response I've gotten. I'm just, I, I walked into several books. I did a, I went called calling to bookstores in New York City. And in one bookstore, this young woman Awesome young woman at Books Are Magic opened up the book and was like, oh man, and starts reading it. And it's like, no, 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 I have to, I have to No, no, I and I walked into another bookstore and the young man was flipping through it, and I said, I should put it away. And he goes, I'm not done. And I <laughs> like, okay. I mean, I turned around and I was like, I'm gonna cry, <laughs> you know. Mm. That, that's the affirmation that fighting through my sense of despair. And how pointless this is. Fighting through that really made a difference. Feelings aren't facts. And writers sitting in tiny rooms, or painters sitting in their studios, or, you know, poets or sculptors, whatever our medium is, we're alone in the moment of creation. And it really does feel like, what is the point? And that's where I have to make the road by walking. And I've been saying that a lot lately. Like, I'm going to make the road by walking. And it's a sticky, right in front of my desk, right above my computer monitor, walk, make the road by walking. And I, that's what I had to do to keep that moment. I, I got 1,400 stories. Why don't I do something with it? Mm-hmm. Motivation may have come out of, I got to do something before I die. But it was the discipline of working, no matter how I felt, that really created the book.
0: These, How did you able to choose which stories that you're going to actually utilize in your book?
1: I think it's a little bit like composing music. Right. I mean, which which is an ironic thing to say since I was raised under my mother's piano yeah, and you know, and I was being ear trained and given theory lessons and practicing the piano. I think by the time I was three four, four o'clock, I was at the piano for four. I'm sorry, four o'clock, four years old. I was at the piano three years old. I was doing theory and, and ear training. So m- the way I move through anything is very based. It's based in music. So to me, it was reading the stories and almost hearing the music of each story and how it created a moment in a piece. It's musical. What's the rhythm? There were some pieces that I felt really attached to. I just, these got to be in here, and I was just finding the right place for them. Where are they in harmony with the piece before and with the piece after? So it became a musical process for me. It really was composing a symphony or a symphony of a lot of stories. So, sure.
0: who is the main character in this book? Is it the city of New York or is it your mother?
1: I don't know. I thought it was my mom but someone said to me no it's you and I thought no it's not it's the city. <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's I think it's whoever you connect to. Mm. But I think I also think it's a the reason why it's it's not our New York or his New York it's her New York because it started with her story and there are so many women in this book and we're hearing stories and there's also men in this book you know but we're hearing women's stories very specifically and i know i don't think i know that our stories how we perceive the world is so undervalued so unrepresented so invisible we were talking about that famous spy that Ames guy that was double crossing like he was an agent for the russians and he had been selling them secrets and all these women at the cia had been shunted to like doing clerical jobs And they found out from a comment his wife made about getting window treatments. And they knew that window treatments are so expensive, there's no way that they could afford it. And Mm. so they knew he was getting income from someplace else. And that's how they began their investigation. That's a woman's story. That's a woman's eye. That's true. Women knew that Ames was spying because his wife could afford window treatments we know the world differently Mm -hmm. and we see those details that are the bigger story so it is her new york a lot of women in this book under you know and what come on like everyone wants to know what women are want and how women think read the book because Mm -hmm. just how we move through the day is what we want and how we think And maybe it is. I do. I look at my city as a woman. I look at chips as a woman. I look at I look at everything as a woman, you know, because we're really awesome. It was her New York. I thought it was about my mom, actually. But people tell me, you know, no, it's you. It's the city. It's I mean, who knows? You tell me you read the book and tell me what you think.
0: So for for those that are looking at this that that aren't from New York what 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 would be the the draw for someone that say is living in like Tennessee or Arizona or Finland to read the book
1: Well one come travel to New York without leaving your living room couch yeah. That's the first thing come on by you're going to meet our city and then when you get there you're going to meet yourself because every single person in that book is going to tell you a little bit about your own story you're going to read every single story and say oh that's me or oh that happened to me or it's going to be i didn't i've never met that person in my life wow they're awesome this is so interesting i've only seen them on tv like this you know so i think it's it's a great way to travel it's a great way to meet new friends it's also hmm. a great way to hear your own story and so what
0: about your upcoming works i see that you have a couple upcoming works as well
1: yeah there there are two projects in play one is called high speed mess called life <laughs> I, I i when i was reading at the new york city poetry festival i accidentally said high speed you know mess called life or the consequences of loving penises which was <laughs> <laughs> but they're 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 short works of again, of relationships, of past disappointments, of past delights, of tough decisions, moments that we never talk about. And it's again, you can live in Arizona, New Mexico, you could live in Alaska, you could live in Canada, you could live in France, you could live in the Netherlands, you could live anywhere. These stories will give you a, a conduit, a moment of saying, oh yeah, I remember that. Me too. Mm. Or, oh, I know someone who went through that. I did. I do like I put self-explanatory underneath that, but, <laughs> but a lot of it's the consequences of loving penises. So, you know,
0: mm,
1: yeah. <laughs> a nice mix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, is this and, something that you're gonna have through uh, Rootstock as well?
1: Right now, it is in such early stages and it requires another like year of rewriting that it's absolutely possible right now. I'm just like, I just want to celebrate her New York, you know? So, yeah. The other piece is I mean, also, you know, Rootstock, I believe this, this was the first time that Rootstock did a sort of a a coffee table art book in a way, you know, it's a, yeah. The home sweet home are, are the photographs of New York city. But not necessarily just New York. I also took pictures in California when I was taking care of my dad. I've taken, but these particular stories, I, and that's funny. It's like they're photographs, but to me, they're stories. The picture of, the, you see the arm brace? That was Robert on his last day of being a postman. And it, he had been our postman for 30 years. He knew everyone in the building. He visited with you know one of our neighbors on a regular basis. And I loved that this portrait was his job that arm brace mm. for the carpal tunnel all the pens all the all the different little forms that he carried his uniform the pride in how he crosses his arm the picture next to it is a man in prayer on a subway station a subway car you know we were passing trains and i suddenly saw his reflection i point and shoot Snapped. the mm. pictures below that i if you just move it down the woman who's sticking her tongue out, how many people see a woman of that age sticking her tongue out at a camera?
0: <laughs>
1: and that's Dana, who was a major activist in New York City and, mm-hmm. and was part of phenomenal change in the Lower East Side, where where the landscape was transformed into affordable housing. She was part of that movement. And here she is. Like I think she was in ninety or late eighties. I would visit her. She was. I was a child. She. I was a child and wrote, grew up with her next door. The man behind her is her son. He was the boy next door. I wrote a story about him once. The boy next door. I had a crush on him for oh, decades. And it was us having lunch, and she just saw that camera, and she just stuck her tongue out. Yeah. <laughs> I there the the thing with the um the pipes. You know, you go into these offices. And there's a, it's an archeological dig, like, who right. and the guys along those construction worker guys, that was like a walk by, I said, I'm very, very shy. And I don't, I tend to have a hard time asking people on the street, if I can take their picture. And I just turned and I said, can I take your picture? And they all kind of like, look at that guy in the middle. Just so yo, take my picture. <laughs> and I, I just thought, like, I love it. Like that's, those are working men take my picture we're having lunch working and they all have a different expression they're all laughing they're all experiencing that moment different but he's in his t-shirt going yo take my picture go ahead (laughs) so these are like this these are visual moments the man talking to the hospital bed is my father in california and i just one is he's in a hospital room that has windows like that i mean it's so pretty and it's a it's a private room and He's, he's just making sure he has everything. It was a moment of him saying goodbye to that hospital bed that I thought it was, it fascinated me. So they're, they're just moments They're little stories. This is the Essex street market before they moved to the fancy Essex street market. this is the barber and this is his wall. And I came in, I said, I know you're moving. Can I take a picture? Here's my card. He's looking at my card and I just, I just love, that that was he. Had, he and his father were in that space for decades. When the new Essex Street Market opened, I went in, and he had a new space, not as packed with clocks. And he said it was okay. You know, it's it's a process of leaving home and setting up new home. It was a little bit of a diaspora, just one block really? north he, in a new home. And that's another oh, one wow. of my right. another one of my favorite pictures of New York City.
0: What what would be some of the things that are important that you hope your readers get out of the book
1: i love that question i want us to say everything and then now let's say what everything is one is to feel their heart and soul about someone they love Mm. whoever that person is in this book i lost love you know the person i was supposed to marry left me so there was a loss of love there was that sense of grieving at the same time there was a loss of my own life because I was suddenly taking care of somebody, you know, very hands-on, having to be available, and having to direct all that emotional energy. and in that action, receiving so much. Mm-hmm. The process of taking care of a parent is not a hallmark card, and it ain't a Disney movie. It's real life, and you do it. And I think anyone taking care of anybody, you know, even a mother taking care of a small child. There is that kind of like you become a vending machine for what the situation demands. And yet you're still a human being going through a thousand million moments of your own life. So immediately people will step into this book and experience the process of what it means to love and what it means to lose love and what it means to care. At the same time, we're surrounded by people who are working tough jobs. And we, we forget to we we forget their people. So the book is filled with those people. They're filled with the pizza lady and the EMS crowd and the doctor and the nurse and the radiologist. Because we spend a lot of time in hospitals and a lot of time in doctors' offices. There's the taxi cab driver, the you know the guy that runs the car service. There's the there's the people on the street. There are the there's the ping pong kid. You know, waiting to play ping pong, every single one of them, my co-workers who are so amazing to work with, every single one of us had dreams, had family, had challenges, had you know, disappointments. And when you step into the book, it's like remembering that you're part of the human race mm. and being affirmed in your own story. And Then also feeling that it's possible to have love and hope, no matter how sad or despairing it is. My mother died, I think, around 5.30 a.m. in the morning. I wrote that night what it was like to be there. Mm. And to lay out and verbalize, articulate the moment of losing a parent. Or losing anyone, losing your spouse, losing you know, God forbid, losing your child. I mean, the moment, the splaying out of grief and gratitude—that was my job at that moment to write it down. And someone else has read that and has said, "Oh, oh God, that's how I felt." I'm, you know, any writer should represent the emotional life of another human being. And if I'm lucky or if you're lucky, if any of us are lucky, we get to share that with a lot of people. Mm. Well,
0: let's, so congratulations, CEO, for getting your book published. And, Thank you so much. And, and I'm really excited to have you come back on the show to talk about your other books when they come out, too.
1: I will definitely let you know. I will, I will be calling you up saying, put your kids to bed and get them to brush your teeth. Have I got a book for you? <laughs> <laughs> this That's has sweet. really been awesome. I really hope that the people of Vermont, and I understand that you also have an international following. I hope that the people everywhere open this book and find their hearts are being affirmed and loved and that their story is being told. Thank you so much, Theo.
0: Thank you. It's awesome. And so, so as we said, the title of the book that that the title of the book that I was, was going to say is. I'm trying to think of the fact that I'm going to edit this part out. This is the great thing, Sue. You know, I can just edit things out. Oh, right. edit
1: away. I'm being like, so it careful makes me sound not so sm- <laughs> you know, I'm a New Yorker, and to not say a four-letter word with an I-N-G at the end is, is very thoughtful of me. I'm like, <laughs> don't say the words. Try to keep the words out of this.
0: <laughs> you know. so, so, So my question is, is that...